You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 73 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and joining me today, the most frequent guest of the podcast, his name is Scott Coleman. What's up, man? Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's my pleasure, sir. It's the All-Star break. It's finally here. Uh, it's Sunday evening. Uh, you know, I guess probably not on the East Coast, but for once, I'm actually on the West Coast with you. Uh, I'm actually in Las Vegas covering NBA Summer League, so uh, candidly, I am in basketball mode right now, but... At the same time, uh, it's a good time to be in basketball mode because baseball isn't happening for the next couple of days, which is nice. Um, but, you know, before we get into some, like, big picture stuff, you know, first half, this is, I mean, it's not actually the first half, but we can sort of get into previewing the second half and sort of take stock of where we are. Before we get into that, let's be a little bit more results-oriented from recently and talk about the weekend. Uh, a very, very weird week for the Braves in general. Um, the first two games uh, being just annihilated by Houston at home by a combined score of 26-8. to eight. And then the National Series, which you had the Friday night implosion, the 13-0 the 13 win on Saturday, and then a sort of weird game, which you lost by five on Sunday. So I don't even know yeah. where to start, really, but I guess it was just, it's just a bizarre week of Atlanta Braves baseball. Yeah, you know, the, the night, it was Friday when they, the bullpen imploded, and really it was just kind of Jim Johnson, and then Brandon Phillips missed a couple of balls. I thought he probably should have gotten to at least one of them, and it's a different inning. Um, you know, they should have won the series in Washington, and that's something, as everybody knows, has been really tough for the Braves to do. I can, I'm can, i sure you could probably count on one hand the number of series the Braves have won in Washington over the last three or four years. Um, and it's unfortunate that they weren't able to hold it on Friday night, but anytime you're able to split a four-game series on the road, uh, especially against you know your division rival team that you're chasing in the standings, is good. Um, and look, there's no shame in getting beat down by the Astros. They beat down everybody. Yeah. Uh, that, that lineup, uh, I think I touched on it last uh, last time I was on and throughout the week. I mean, it is it is literally on pace to being one of the greatest lineups ever, like in recent baseball history. I mean, they, they uh, won 19-1 to on Sunday. Yeah. I guess the it, real team on the road. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody in that lineup is going to either hit like 25 homers or steal 25 bases, and they have like four guys who are going to steal 25 bases and hit 25 homers. I mean – or at least could if they wanted to. They don't even really need to steal bases because they just score regardless. So no shame in getting pounded by the Astros. Obviously, that one on Friday night stings, but it would have been nice to, to go into the break with a 3-1 series win. But 2-2 two and two isn't the worst thing, especially when you consider the Braves went up against Scherzer and Gonzalez and, and Strasburg. 
Yeah, and that's that's the right way to think about it. You know, getting two games against the, against the Nats, who you know, for much as Braves fans don't like the Nats, the, the Nats are still better than the Braves. Uh, you, yeah. you could talk about the fact that Washington might be overachieving a little bit based on their schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they're still better than the Braves are, top to bottom. So you know, splitting that series on the road is a good thing um, for sure. Um, in general, it was a weird week, but you know, part of that weirdness was was the blowout win. So that's always a good thing. Uh, I guess the lead story of the week is Freddie Freeman playing third base, which happened, as we well know, and is still happening. Um, I wonder what your thoughts on Freddie. I mean, aside from the fact that he's superhuman at the plate, he now has a 202 WRC plus for the season, uh, yeah. which is absolutely preposterous. Obviously, he missed a lot of time, but it's still like 200 player appearances of just Babe Ruthian production from Freeman. But uh, I guess more importantly is his defense. So what have you been seeing it with of him at third base? You know, he made his first error, I think it was Saturday afternoon, he made an error. It was a little bit of a tricky bounce, but made an error on it. Um, but really, if, if you look back on the week, I think he made four or five starts at third, and he really didn't get a whole lot of chances. He might have had altogether ten chances, and a couple of them were just pop-ups that were pretty routine. Um, the first night against Houston, I think, in the first couple innings, they just uh, they just lined a couple of balls right past Freddie that weren't his fault. No third baseman in baseball is going to be able to catch him. Um you know, so far he hasn't been truly tested. I can't really remember other than once or twice a play where he really had to do anything other than just field a routine grounder. He hasn't had to charge a bunt. Uh, no one's tried bunting on Freddie yet, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and again, the pop-ups are all pretty routine regardless of where you are in the infield. So as you mentioned, obviously, he, he's come back without missing a beat at the plate, which was my bigger concern. I was worried that he would have issues hitting for power, and that obviously isn't the case. I think he has two homers and has about seven doubles so far in his first five or six games back. Um, encouraging to see him at the plate. And, um, you know, again, as long as just the routine plays are being, being made at third, I think the Braves, at least for the next couple months, for what they're trying to do if they aren't able to trade Matt Adams, um, I think they're going to be okay with it. And there's also the flexibility, too, with the bench of moving somebody at third, uh, you know, in the later innings once runs start to take on a little bit more of a premium takes on a little bit more of a premium yeah i mean i'm on record and it was on record then i don't i still don't like it but i mean if freddie's for what he's been asked to do so far has been fine uh, as you mentioned he's not really been tested a whole lot but you know the, the plate numbers like this i said the, i said the wrc plus a second ago he is his ops is north of 1200 uh yeah. at this point with a with 29 walks and 35 strikeouts so yeah he's he's pretty good at baseball yeah uh, i suppose um I, I mean, you brought up Matt Adams. Let's talk about Matt Adams for a second. Obviously, we've spent a ton of time on him recently, so I don't want to kill him too badly here in terms of uh, the amount of content he had. A he had a, he had a good day on Sunday, which is good. A couple of doubles, um, but in general, I think people are always starting to understand that he's not the 1,000 OPS superhero that he was for a couple of weeks yeah. there. Um, I've been trying to tell people that for a long time. Like his his career OPS is is less than 800, which is fine. I mean. But we're talking about a guy who basically is first base only from what the way the, way the Braves are treating him. Uh, the value on him is not quite as high as people want to think it is. So I'm actually interested to see what happens if they trade Adams, like how, what they can actually get for him. Uh, and yeah. that, will, that will drive the uh, that will drive whether they actually trade him because if they can't get anything for him, they're just going to keep him. I think that seems pretty obvious at this point. But I don't know. Just worth mentioning that he's cooled off considerably, and that was always going to happen, uh, sort of for better or worse. He had a I think it was like a four year high in bad bit that's now cooled off a little bit, and he's still he's still having a really a really nice year for the most part. Um, but we'll see if that actually translates moving on. It was interesting, uh, Dave Cameron of Fangraphs this week. And, you know, Dave is love the guy, hate the guy. You know, he's kind of an acquired taste. But he is pretty keyed into baseball and has some, some contacts around the league. And somebody asked the question about what the Braves could realistically expect from Matt Adams. And 
his response was they wouldn't be able to get much more than the minimal prospect uh, they gave to get him. Now, I don't necessarily believe that. I think the fact that the Braves got him in May uh, compared to you know just how everything kind of gets increased as far as trade demands go in July, I don't necessarily buy that, but I do think uh, if anyone's expecting the Braves to, you know, flip Adams for a top 25, top 50 prospect in all of baseball, um, especially considering he only has a year and a half left, and as you mentioned, a solid hitter, but for a first baseman, certainly not an all-star by any means. Um, you know, I think uh, I think at least just to have reasonable expectations if the Braves do trade him, that the return would not be otherworldly. I guess some team could get desperate and really fall in love with his bat and feel like they're one batter away from really hit, being able to make a run, but. At the end of the day, I think it'll be a, a modest return if they do it now, and if they decide to hang on to him and trade him in the winter, I think it'd be a, you know, again a decent return, uh, but nothing that's going to blow your socks off. Yep, that sounds about right. I think people uh, need to re, re uh, sort of reevaluate the, what, what the return is going to be because I have a feeling when and if the Braves trade him, people are going to be upset by how, how little they get, quote unquote. Um, but we'll see what happens uh, with that. Uh, before we get into big picture stuff, I do want to talk about Johan Camargo a little bit because. Braves fans are now in love with Camargo, and with good reason. He's been very good uh, recently. Same sort of thing as Adams, though. I think you know some of the uh, peripheral numbers at the plate are not quite as good as you would think they would be. You know, at, at the same time, Camargo kind of came out of nowhere. Like he was basically a non-entity a few months ago, and now he's you know has a 120 WRC plus for the year. Is slugging 500. It's a small sample. It's 110 plate appearances, but still he's hit the ball well and obviously fields a competent um, defensive position. Kind of play all kind of play all over the place, which is which is a valuable player. Uh, I guess the big question is whether we can trust his bat or not because yeah. you know he had a really good day on Sunday, but before that it was kind of uh, meh. And the BABIP is now I believe north of 400 if I'm remembering right. Yeah, a 413 BABIP. For the season, which is obviously going to be coming down. So, what do you think about Camargo just in general? Is he a guy that like could be a long-term starting option? I I, I tend to say no on that. Like, yeah. for instance, people seem to be thinking that if Adams gets traded, uh, Freddie moves back to first base, and Camargo's just the guy at third base. And I'm not sure I believe that. I think long-term, he's a utility guy. Um, I you know the last month and a half have been a whole lot of fun watching Johan play for sure. Uh, um, he, you know. He, he, he never half-assed it. He always is busting it down the line. Um, I love watching him make throws from third base because he looks like he's trying to break the first baseman's glove because he just might have the strongest infield arm of anybody in the organization. Um, you know, he's been fun, but obviously, again, a guy who was not on really any prospect radars up until maybe 12 months ago. Um, he did hit well in Gwinnett and showed some power there. And, of course, early on in spring training this year, he he kind of got some attention for his uh, his bat and what he's able to do, obviously, you know, as a versatile fielder. Um, I'm with you. I don't think he's a long-term starter by any means. But look, if if he can be a better Jace Peterson, somebody who can kind of fill in all over the place and at least hold his own at the plate, you know, today he, he finally hit his first homer. Uh, he's had seemingly four or five balls that were like two away from being homers that just go off the wall instead. Um, you know, even if he's able to just throw a little bit of, pl- little bit of plate discipline, a little bit of power, um, and, and just kind of fill in at all the different places on the field. I'd imagine he can play just about everywhere other than maybe first base or center. Um, you know, there's value in that. And he's a young guy. He's still only 23. I know the prospect folks, too, say that he's really kind of bulked up over the last year or two and has kind of come into his own, um, which, which certainly will help him. So uh, I'm with you. I don't think he's the starting second baseman or third baseman of the future. But, uh, you know, if he's able to just give the Braves a little bit of spark this season and, and be a you know a utility guy off the bench moving forward, I think that'd be great. 
Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I just think people are starting to fall in love with him, which I understand. Like, there was the Martin Prado comparison being made uh, about Camargo, which I understand why that's being said. I don't yeah. uh, necessarily see him being as good as Prado was for those, for those few years, but we'll see what happens there with Camargo. I just thought it was worth talking about. All right, let's get uh, back to the big picture. Um, I, I posed a few questions to you uh, offline and kind of prepped you for this thing, but uh, I guess we could talk about sort of what's going on, going on from a team from a team perspective in the first half, like just sort of breaking down the schedule, how the Braves have done. Uh, if there was any surprises, I'll just kind of open up, open up the floor for you to talk about the first half a little bit. You know, it's interesting. Um, I spent some time last night messing around with the schedule, and if you would have told me that the Braves were going to be three games below 500 at the All-Star break, I would have been happy with it. Um, you know, if you consider since they had that awful start to the year against – uh, New York and, and Pittsburgh, where they went one and six. Uh, they're above 500 since the first week of the year. They're 41 and 39 since that first week. And obviously, I'm sure every team in baseball has a week of the year they'd like to have back uh, at this point. But uh, the fact that they're above 500 since the first week of the season, if you remember right, I think the average temperature in those games, those first six or seven games, was about 40 degrees, and half of them were played in the rain. Um, you know, they, they started off pretty slow. They were below 500 in April and May, but uh, in June they were great. They were 17 to 12 in June, uh, and in July so far they're around 500. Obviously, we've touched on the tough schedule. Um, you know, I think my biggest thing, and, and we can talk about, we've talked about Freddie here, but if you would have told me that four months ago that the Braves would lose Freddie Freeman uh, for seven weeks, uh, Bartolo Colon would be flat-out released after basically two months of starts, uh, they would get almost nothing out of Dansby Swanson. Uh, third base wouldn't have been much of anything. Um, and the bullpen would have blown seven save opportunities. I would have thought, holy smokes, they're going to have another top three draft pick again. Um, so the fact that they're three games below 500 and, and at least kind of in, th- in it a little bit. I know somebody mentioned this time last year the Braves had 58 losses. Uh, right now they have, I, I believe it's 44. So obviously an improvement has been made. I'm still not... Uh, my heart tells me I want to believe that they could make a wild card push, but I just don't quite see it. But again, who knows once uh, now that Freddie's back and if they make a move or two with the trade deadline, that doesn't sell off their, their pieces. Uh, maybe they do hang around and try to catch uh, Colorado. What about you? What, what was your biggest takeaway from the first half? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the big thing is that they just, they've, I, I don't want to say overachieve because it's not like they've overachieved by a crazy amount. I do, I do think that, the, you know, if you look at the run, the run differential, they're a little bit, uh, they've been good in close games. And that's kind of uh, propelled them to a certain extent. So I'm not crapping on them by any means because I think it's, uh, as you said, it's it's gone very, very well uh, when you factor in all the things that went poorly, like Freddie being gone and Bartolo being a disaster, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I think this is sort of what they are right now, which is a good thing. I don't think they're necessarily the team that's above 500 since Freddie uh, since uh, Freddie went out the, uh, the first time. But at, at the same time, like I think they're probably something – Approaching what they are on the standings, which is you know they're forty two and forty five, that's about a what is that like seventy eight win pace something yeah, like that. About, yeah, that's about what I think they are, and that's that's fine. Uh, that's a, that's a much better a much better team than, they, than they've been for a while now. It's a much more entertaining product than they've been for a while now. Um, you know, lately since since Cologne went out, I was talking to somebody on on Twitter the other day about this, but um, since Cologne left, they are they have a positive run differential. Um, yeah, uh, so. Yeah, it's all kinds of positive things. If you just basically take Bartolo out of the mix altogether, things are very, very good for the Braves. And I'm, I'm not sure you can necessarily do that because they don't really have – I mean, 
Sean Newcomb is, was very, very good early, and it's now cooled off. So sort of the jury is still out there. But I don't know. As a general product, I'm pretty happy with the way things have gone. I think it's Same kind here. of a, it's kind of a true outcome. I think. I mean, it's been yeah. up and down, up and down. But I don't know. I mean, the arbitrary endpoint stuff like Dansby Swanson, for instance. Like I wrote about him earlier this week, and he's not had, he's not had the best week in the world, but. If you had taken like he had the, he had the awful the awful April basically he was he was basically useless for the first three weeks of the season he had like a OPS of like four hundred for like three yeah. and a half weeks and if mm. you took that out his OPS was like seven fifty seven forty and like that's not you know lighting the world on fire but if he just does that he's fine and he's been not and that was a few days ago now he's not had, not, not had a great week and the numbers aren't great but I, I I even think that he's actually a little bit better than his his season long numbers are as well so. I don't know. I'm not the most rosy guy in the world, as people want uh, on the show want, want to uh, understand. But I mean, optimistically, I think this has been a pretty uh, you know, satisfying product. It's not like there have not been too many disaster games. You know, blowing saves is never fun. Like Friday was brutal to watch. Um, but aside from that stuff, like it's been a pretty entertaining product for the, for the situation where you know the Braves probably aren't going to make the playoffs. I mean, if you had to ask me what that if that uh, was going to happen, I would say no. I mean, it seems there is a chance the Braves just get scorching hot here and you know finish with 80. Four wins and sneak into the second wild card. That's conceivable. Um, I don't see it necessarily, but I don't know. It's been fun, and yeah. If you told me that, if you told me that they won eighty plus games, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't really bat an eye at this point, and I would have before the season because I mean, even yeah. optimistically, I think I had them at seventy six wins before the season started, and that seemed a little bit rosy in my opinion. I was trying to be at least building some optimism in, into there, and now if you told me it was eighty or eighty one, cool, and that's you know five games improved. That's that's pretty nice. Yeah, I'm with you. And again, you know, I think most people went into this year just wanting it to be more of a watchable product yes. than it was the last two years. I mean, if the Braves were going to lose another 95 games like they had the last two years, I'm not sure. You know, it's at some point as a fan, you just it's tough to keep doing that to yourself when they're going to lose 70 percent of the time, the times that you turn on the game or, or the TV or whatever it may be. I mean, the last two years are miserable. So the fact that they're even around 500, obviously, the next couple weeks, they have some really tough games with the Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Cubs. Um, you know, they have a tough schedule ahead of them, but if they can kind of weather the month of July, uh, the schedule is, is relatively easy. In, in August and September, they have a bunch of home games. Uh, you know, we'll see. If, if they can at least flirt with 500, I think it could be a lot of fun the final, you know, two weeks of September if they're just below a 500 pace, if they can. Uh, come on strong in the last couple weeks to, to get to 81 wins. That's something I would tune in for every night. You know, if, if, if they're starting to bring up the young kids and, and they're just battling and they're kind of playing towards 2018 and getting momentum again, similar to they did last September, um, whether you want to believe in momentum or not in baseball, it's, I think it's a very real thing if you're in the dugout and in the clubhouse, you know, 200 days out of the year. Um, and it is, it has been nice to just see them win some games and steal a couple games late and, just kind of have some fun on the field after the two miserable last uh, two seasons. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, with all that said, that sort of rosy outlook, I do want to talk about uh, disappointments that have that have happened in the first half. There are a couple. Oh, yeah. Uh, so let's let's break that down. What, what have you seen that you've been disappointed in the first half? I know there's a couple of options here, so feel free to fire away. You know, <laughs> I, you know I, I like the Bartolo Colon signing when it happened. I never envisioned he would be as bad as he was. I think he gave up um, just quick math here. I think the Braves lost uh, uh, 10 out of his 13 starts. He surrendered more than five runs in about 75% of his starts. Um, And honestly, two of his only real respectable starts were his first and third starts of the season here. 
Um, it was just it was just so frustrating to see a guy who from afar always killed the Braves, and then the, he finally joins the Braves and was literally the worst pitcher in baseball. I know that the the underlying numbers, his FIP and everything like that, will say he was a, a little bit unlucky, and that's fine. And I'm a big believer in those stats, but. Look, if you have an ERA above 8 through 13 starts, I don't care if you're the unluckiest player in baseball history. That That's very, very difficult to do. I mean, even guys like Matt Whistler and Aaron Blair weren't that bad last year. Um, so I think for me it was Bartolo. I liked the signing when it happened. I thought it was a, a smart move by the front office, and it backfired. Fortunately, it's just a one-year deal. But I would say for me Bartolo was the di- biggest disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty much the leader in the clubhouse. I mean, that's probably the only right answer. I mean, there's a couple of other candidates. I mean, between, you know, Ian Kroll's been really, really bad. Uh, that's a that's a, that's sort of an off uh, an off the radar pick because I think he was uh, he was pretty good last year. People had some expectations for him, but uh, especially lately, obviously today did not go well on Sunday um, for Ian Kroll. Yeah. And in general, he's been pretty bad. Uh, now with an ERA an ERA north of five with a FIP about five, so. That's an off the radar choice. Dansby's obviously been a disappointment, um, even with all I said before about how uh, he's been a little bit better than the numbers probably tell you. But you know, a 59 WRC plus uh, into July is nothing to be excited about. You know, the defense has actually been better than I thought it would be, to be honest with you. Um, so that's that's a slight positive. And he's still, even with that awful uh, batting numbers, he's still a slightly above replacement level player, which is not good again. Uh, but for a number one, a former number one overall pick, who's now 23, he's not that young, but. I think he qualifies for this, even though he's not been a full-on disaster, maybe. And then Julio Tehran, although the signs have been good recently at times, um, still a 4.79 ERA, 5.49 FIP for Julio at the All-Star break. Uh, a, he's been sub-replacement level, according to Fangraphs, which, whoo, uh, by the way, if you, and that's, that's another thing from what we were talking about before. If you told me that Julio Tehran had, a, had an ERA near 5 and the Braves were 42 and 45, that's another yeah. thing. Like, are you I've kidding me? I've been thrilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I would have um, said you're lying. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's not – again, there's been some positive signs with Julio lately. Um, if you look closely enough, you know, his last start, um, shut, out, shut out baseball against the Nats. His start before that, only two earned runs in Oakland. So hopefully he builds on those two uh, as we get into the uh, second half of the season, quote-unquote. Um, but, you know, in general, definitely disappointment. I don't know. It's probably – those are probably the, the really, really the main contenders for the award. It was uh, – you know, Ari Dickey was in there, and then he started pitching well. So – uh, yeah. he's like, I almost don't want to jinx it by talking about him, but uh, he's actually <laughs> been quite good recently. So yeah, that's absolutely. That's uh, yeah, I don't think he's given up more than two runs in his last five starts. I mean, and his strikeouts are good. He's limiting his walks. I still worry about him, and I, it wouldn't yes. be heartbroken if the Braves tried to sell high. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to trade him just because the knuckleball is just such a different dynamic for pitchers um, and catchers, more importantly. But um, yeah, Dickey really did have a nice month of June. Yeah, I mean, I would move him for sure if you can get anything at all. But I'm not, I'm not sure you can. But look, I mean, you can just ride him, and he'll eat he'll eat, eat some innings. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, on this podcast, probably I don't know six weeks ago, I would probably have argued. I think I probably did argue that um, that Dickey had been worse than Cologne because at yeah. one point he had been. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's been nice to have at least one of those guys kind of come through, and then Garcia's been up and down, obviously. But I don't know. If you, the, the three signings so far, obviously Cologne was a disaster. Dickey's about what you think it would be overall, and then Garcia's hit and miss. So not a, not a complete loss. Um, you know, Cologne, Cologne's money, if you care about that, which you shouldn't, because it, it's a one-year deal, and the Braves weren't going to use that money elsewhere. So I don't really care about that. Um, but I don't know. In general, it could have it could have been worse. Could have been much better, obviously. But there you go on that. Um, 
Speaking of trades, though, we talked about Ari Dickey. Um, I guess the, the most obvious question, the one we get asked a lot, I guess this is a good time to ask it because it's the All-Star break and you know stuff's going on. I, who, who do you think is going to get traded before the deadline? Because you know, you know, it's two weeks away now, or a little bit more than two weeks away, almost three weeks away, I, I suppose. But, I mean, there's a couple of pretty obvious candidates. We talked about Matt Adams before, but uh, a couple of guys that we haven't talked about much that might be getting traded. You know, I think there's two very obvious ones, uh, one of them being Jaime Garcia. Um, and the other being Brandon Phillips. It's not so much their performance so far. It's just they're going to be free agents in two and a half months, and I think it makes all the sense in the world to trade them. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that that Jaime is more likely to be traded just because of kind of Brandon's veteran status, and I know he has his no trade, and I know that was waived, and he has some different contract demands if, if something happens. Um, I would put it at about a 75% percent chance that Jaime gets traded just barring him just totally falling off the earth and the you know his two starts or whatever it's going to be after the all-star break um and with Bartolo or Bartolo with Brandon I think there's uh, um, <laughs> expos maybe how you mix up Bartolo Colon and Brandon Phillips I have no idea um the Montreal with, expos that's all that's the only connection that's right have. yeah that, that's it uh, <laughs> but with uh you know with BP you have Camargo you have Ozzy Albies waiting in the wing um, you know, you have some some second base options. Sean Rodriguez is rehabbing in the minor leagues. Um, everyone thought he was going to be out all year. It sounds like he might have a chance to return in July, late July or early August. Um, so they certainly have backup options that they do in a trade. Brandon, I'm not really confident that the return for Brandon or for Jaime would be much of anything. Um, but again, even if they get a fringe prospect, it's pro- you know even if it's a you know a reliever type like Akil Morris, who they got for Kelly Johnson last year from the Mets, um, even if it's a bullpen arm who's going to help out in two or three years down the road, it's probably worth doing, especially if uh, you know the Braves get off to a rough start here in the second half when they have four games with the Dodgers, couple with the Cubs, uh, Diamondbacks, everything like that. Um, so I would I would imagine it's those two are the obvious ones who could get moved here. Yeah, I mean, I've I've long felt that Phillips was the most obvious, only because he's making zero money. So like a team ha- a team has no financial reason not to trade for him. For instance, uh, it's just trying to find that partner that needs a second baseman uh, upgrade because you know Phillips has been very solid, but not spectacular by any means. Um, Garcia, I mean, everybody needs more pitching, but he's not been good lately. Uh, there was that stretch a couple of weeks ago where he was uh, pretty darn good for a while, but lately he's not been uh, as at quite as good. I'm sure the Braves could get something for him, and Copy is going to do something. It's Copy. He just can't not do something, um, yeah. for better or worse. I mean, mostly better, to be honest, because he's been very good at trades, in my opinion, uh, barring Alex Wood, uh, <laughs> which we won't talk about on this oh, podcast today. Let's not. Uh, I know, because we'll, you and I will both get mad about it, so let's not. But uh, in general, Kobe's been very, very good at trades, uh, I would say. So uh, I think it's going to happen. Someone's going to get moved. Those two guys are pretty obvious options. You, I mean, uh, Jim Johnson is interesting as a candidate. Obviously, it'd be better if he had been pitching better recently. Um but he's still, you know, his numbers are still fine for the year, and people. He's sort of a, an old reliable time kind of reliever that I don't think I don't think a, a contender is going to be going after him as a closer. But maybe if if they want a, uh, a setup guy, he might be interesting yeah. to trade for. Um, you know, ironically, the Nats need a closer, but they're not going to trade with the Nats, I don't think. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, aside from those two, I mean, there's the off the radar guys like Flowers, maybe if they wanted to sell high on Flowers or. Obviously, Matt Kemp's been talked about. I don't think that's going to happen. Julio Tehran has been talked about. I don't think that's going to happen, but that was uh, leaked out there. 
I think it was John Heyman this week said teams were calling about Tehran again, which I understand. I mean, it was also the buzz that the Braves were uh, already uh, talking about uh, Chris Archer and Jose Quintana again. It's it's kind of always out there. Something's going to happen. Yeah. I'm just not sure what it's going to be. But I think you're right, though. The, the two most likely guys to get moved would be Garcia and Phillips. I'm just not 100% sure where those fits are. But yeah. you know, there's still two-plus weeks to go. Copy's going to do something. But I think I guess it was worthy, worthy of talking about it today just because we're yeah. kind of at a stopping point now. But we we were talking about the other day, and somebody mentioned, and I, I kind of felt the same way. And I imagine other people do too. You know, if if the Braves only made a small deal or two at the deadline, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they made like seven trades in oh, the yeah. next two and a half weeks and just Three. did something way out of left field, so to speak, and and just kind of stun everybody. Um, who knows what they're going to end up doing. And with Copy, as you've said, he's a guy who has always just kind of done things whenever they, they come together. He isn't a deadline-driven guy, and we've seen he'll just pull random trades off whenever he can kind of make them happen. Um, you know, I, I, I truly wouldn't know where to hedge my bet. With you being in Vegas, I wouldn't know uh, <laughs> where to hedge, hedge my bet if I had to say, do the Braves make more or less than two, two and a half trades over the next two weeks, three and a half Trades. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to set the over-under. Um, I could see them having a very quiet deadline and just kind of standing by and hoping they can make a run with their roster now. And, you know, if the return for Jaime and, and BP isn't very high, then just hanging on to them and, you know, and just kind of parting ways. Um, I could also see them just kind of going crazy and landing a Chris Archer or Quintana. Uh, Sonny Gray's name has been mentioned. If they traded Julio, I wouldn't be stunned. If they traded... Uh, even if they found a suitor somehow for Matt Kemp or Nick Markakis, I wouldn't be stunned. You know, it, it wouldn't be uh, something just totally off the radar that no one's seen. Um, it'll be fun, and this front office has shown that they like to be active, and I can't imagine it'll be a quiet deadline one way or the other. What do you think about the uh, scenario of where the Braves board would be buyers? Because they're, they're eight out of the wild card right now. That's, that's a pretty darn big gap. Uh, on the bright side... If you're trying to be rosy, you only need one team to fall, to fall because if you take out Arizona and Colorado, who are currently one and two in the wild card, uh, the next the next team after that is the Cubs, who are only a half game ahead of the Braves. So yeah. um, I would not be buying, um, and if I was buying, it'd be something, something something like you're talking about with Archer or Quintana, like somebody who's cost controlled for a yeah. long time. Um, I would really, really, really hate if the Braves went uh, into buy mode with the guy who was on a short term deal. That would be bad. I would yeah. not do that. Um, but it sounds like you agree with me. Is that, is that about right? I, yes. I mean, I would be stunned if they unloaded a couple prospects to get like a closer who's signed for three more months and as a free agent or, yeah. you know, to add a, a starter who's a free agent in a couple months. You know, as you said, you know, buying is an interesting word just because if they buy somebody like Chris Archer or Sonny Gray, it's not as if they're just buying for this right. year. That's, that's a long-term move for sure. Right. And that's just, they're available now. They like the deal now. It's going to help in 2017, but that's more a deal about the future because obviously they, they'd have to pay a steep price to get you know one of those frontline starters for the next three or four years. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I just think people are batting it around now because the Braves are, you know, quote unquote, close. Uh, they're not, I don't think, just because it'd be different if they were three out of the wild card. But at eight, yeah. at eight, I mean, that's that's a big climb. I mean, it's not impossible, but uh, they have to get really hot and have either Arizona or Colorado really cool off, which is not inconceivable, yeah. but uh, would not be going all in on short term guys. That's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, because the, the timetable is what it is. But 
Uh, okay, well, before I let you get out of here, man, let's talk about like sort of what's going to happen the rest of the way. If I had to, if you had to give me a projection for a record, I guess I'll ask you what it would be. Before I let you say it, though, five thirty-eight says uh, seventy-six and eighty-six for the Braves, mm. which is a little lower than I think I would go. It's probably around. It's not crazy by any means. That's about what their what, what their Pythagorean is. Um, if you look look at just uh, run differential stuff like that, Fangraphs um, has the Braves finishing seventy-seven and eighty-five. So yeah. as those are the, those those are more statistically based, but I guess we can. Uh, I'll let you go first, and I'll throw my number out there. I will go. It's so hard to say because in September, half the teams are in the playoff hunt, and the other half just don't yeah, care it's so more. Hard. <laughs> and guys like you know, uh, veteran who's been out for twelve years and is in three, year three of his five year contract just doesn't care anymore. I will say. I'm going to change my original one. I'm going to say they go 79 and 83. They fall just a couple games short of their 500 goal. Yeah, that sounds uh, pretty close. Uh, just for a little bit of reference, uh, the first Las Vegas number this year in February was 71 and a half, which yeah. is comically low. And then it went up by the time the season started. It was like somewhere around 75, which was more reasonable, I should say. Um, I would go, I think I'm going to say 78 and 84. Okay. Uh, so splitting the difference there between the the projection systems and what you said, uh, you know, somewhere in that seventy eight, seventy nine range would be where I am at this point in time. You know, again, it could, if they went and added Chris Archer, I would add another one or two. Right, um, right, right. Or sort of Sunny Gray. The or, stuff we don't or, know. Yeah, I mean, you know, or Freddie hurts his wrist again, and all, you know, it's the end of the world and everything like that. And yeah, I mean, my my seventy eight is basically assuming that. Assuming status quo um, and probably you know a trade or two, whether it be Garcia or Phillips, something like that, um, that's what I think is the most likely outcome. Um, just, yeah. You know, kind of just doing what they're doing now, except for maybe selling selling off a, a part or two, but not a mass sell off. Not you know seven trades of guys who are who are currently on the roster either. I don't know. So it's, it's sort of it's sort of tough and it's sort of built into this conversation, but. I don't know. Somewhere in the high seventies, which again would that would be a win if you're going to beat your Las yep. Vegas number comfortably. Uh, those guys are smart, so I mean, I won't say they're always right, but they're right more often than I am, and they're more right more often than a lot of people are. So uh, it's it's sort of an arbitrary number to talk about, but if you talk about uh, the um, projection being somewhere in the seventies five seventy six range, if you beat that, that's a good year. I mean, it's it's a positive, yep. I think. Well, and if you get to the, that eighty win mark or so. I think it at least gets you into the realm of contention for next year. Yep. Um, they're really not going to lose too much from this year's team, and if anything, they should improve where they lose just between the money they're going to have free up and the prospects and everything like that. Um, you know, it at least get them in contention. Um, you know, if you watch teams like the Cubs and the Astros and just kind of their paths to being dominant as they have been the last year or two, you know, they had years of 68, 70 wins, and then they had kind of a, a bridge year, which is what the Braves, I hope, are in right now, where they, I, you know, I think Houston went uh, 80 and 82 one year. The Cubs went 82 or uh, 78 and 82 uh, just before they made the playoffs two and a half years ago. Um, you know, you have to have some kind of a gap year from being bad to being average to being good uh, with a few very notable exceptions. Uh, it's really, really hard to go from winning 70 games to winning 92 games and getting a playoff spot. It's basically uh, the, the 90 to 91 Braves was was uh, one right. I could think about. But other than that, I mean, uh, just for a little bit of context, you know, 538's projections are what they are. Uh, but there are 11 teams projected to, to win between 76 and 81 games. Yeah, uh, the Braves are one of them. Um, 
So, I mean, there's a lot of variance in there. Obviously, they'd be the first, they'd be the first outlet to say that. I mean, these are projection systems. They're not perfect by any means. They also give the Braves a 6% chance to, win, to make the playoffs, which actually oh. sounds about right to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a 2% chance to win the division, um, which, uh, let's say this. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me look at the standings real quick just before I, before I say anything crazy. Um, I think it's nine and a half is what I actually think. I think it's almost more likely that the Braves won the division than they would to get the wild card. Is that crazy? Hmm. Only because yeah. it only takes Washington imploding. That's all it takes. Yeah, and I think it would. I think if the only way I could see it happening, and again, I don't. No, I, I don't either. Let me say if, that again. If, I, won't, I don't either. If Scherzer were to get hurt for the Nationals, I could see them really going into a tailspin because he's just so so damn good for them or Harper, um, or Harper but that lineup is still yeah, has more, more Scherzer, enough I would agree more depth Scherzer. you know they still have Daniel Murphy and Zimmerman and, and Rendon they're going to get Trey Turner back I mean they at least have some pieces if they lost Scherzer I, I think things could get a little interesting um, but again it would require just a, a very serious injury to him for a guy who has really never been hurt at least recently um, yeah I just maybe next year but yeah, I just don't it's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> it's not happening. But I don't know. I guess I just felt like like putting a take out there. But no. Uh, by the way, just as a sidebar, five thirty eighth projections uh, now have the Dodgers winning hundred and seven games. Yeah, and the Astros winning hundred and five games. I cannot stress to you how crazy that is because of the fact that these systems are designed to pull everybody everybody back to the middle. Like, yeah. you do not see a system like five thirty eight projecting hundred and seven wins, basically midway through the season. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Dodgers' 25-man roster, there there is no weakness. Uh, barring Kershaw getting hurt, I don't. There's no weakness with that team. I mean, they have like eight starting pitchers. They have so many starters that they have to do like phantom DL stints every <laughs> six weeks just to you know get them starts. Um, you know, they have enough depth that they can rest guys like Alex Wood. And they've already talked that they're going to try to save Kershaw a little bit to keep him fresher for the playoffs, uh, or keep him fresh for the playoffs. Um, I mean, that lineup one through eight is dangerous. It's similar to Houston. I think Houston's rotation is a little concerning, and I really think yes. they'd, they'd be smart to add somebody. But, uh, hey, if, if Keuchel is healthy, McCullers is healthy, um, you know, Brad Peacock has been really good for them. Kind of out of nowhere, he's been really good. Uh, if they add a, another starter, even a, a solid number three starter to that rotation, uh, somebody they can count on. It's hard to see anybody in the National League catching the Dodgers, and it's even harder, I think, uh, to see. You know, the American League, there's more depth than in the National League. Like, there's a stronger middle, but there's just not the high-end talent, whereas the National League has, like, three or four really good teams, and that's about it. Um, You know, I guess the Cubs could give the Dodgers a little bit of a challenge if they figure it out. Um, You know, anything can get weird whenever you're playing a divisional team like Colorado or Arizona, but... I would imagine the heavy money. I guess you could walk downstairs and see what the sports books are, but I would imagine the heavy money is on a uh, Dodgers Astros uh, World Series. Oh, I'm sure it's uh, it's definitely up there. Those teams are dominating, but you know it's just an interesting sidebar because uh, whew, that's that kind of blew me away when I saw it. Uh, yeah. Anything else you want to get out there, Scott? Before I let you go, man, um, I know it's uh, it's an interesting week because the Braves uh, do have an All Star. There's you know Ender's there, so there's something to cover. Yeah. Um, yeah, and shouts to Ender uh, Enciarte, um, who we've not mentioned on the podcast. He's been awesome, by the way. Just let's just say that. Ender is, and you mentioned you don't mention him, and you don't mention him for all the right reasons. Yep. I mean, the dude is every night. He seemingly goes one for three with a walk. Uh, you know, isn't other than his amazing defensive play. Nothing's flashy just because he does everything so well. Um, I mean, even just his 
you, you see just at least once or twice a game, a ball will just get hit into the gap or shallow center or deep center, and he almost makes it look easy just because he gets such a good read and closes on it so well. Um, you know, I hope he's able to at least get in the bat in and hopefully make a nice play in center field uh, just so people can appreciate how good he's been. Um, I know this week is prospect week on Talking Chomp, which yes. is always fun. Um, I know they rolled out their honorable mentions. Uh, I, Kyle Mueller, who was the first or 44th round or 44th overall pick last year, was in the honorable mentions, which means he <laughs> wasn't in the top, the top 30, which is just uh. kind of silly. I would imagine. I know he's, there are a few concerns with his repertoire and everything like that. But I mean, if you were the 44th pick a year ago, you're a top 10 prospect. And I would argue probably 70% of the systems in baseball. Oh, at least. The fact that he's the, the fact that he's an honorable mention is is pretty ridiculous, and uh, it, there's always good stuff. I think they're going to break him out in five, uh, you know, five number intervals uh, throughout the week. So make sure you check those out. All the prospect guys guys do great work, and again, it's nice when the farm system is doing as well as it is. Um, it sounds like Ronald Acuna today put on a show at the Futures game, which surprises nobody. Um, great in the field, great with the bat. Um, you know, I think he's about as exciting of a, a position player prospect as the Braves have had in a long, long time. Um, you know, obviously, fun things there. Mike Soroka was in the game. Fun things there. I mean, there's just such a wealth of pitching and, and just overall talent in the system right now. Uh, so, yeah, be sure to check that out. I know uh, we're recording this Sunday night. I think uh, I think the first ranked players, which is like 26 to 30, comes out tomorrow on Monday. Yep, that is true. And uh, I would strongly recommend checking that out. I'm going to probably try to have... Eric uh, on in, this, in the near future to talk about those rankings. Uh, I'm traveling next week also, a different place, so we'll see if that actually happens, but we'll see. Huh. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> there, w- there will be a podcast. I'm not sure what's going to be yet, but uh, as for uh, me, I don't really have anything else coming. Do you have anything you're, anything you're working on this week, Braze-wise? No, I'm, I'm going to be kind of tied up in some other things, and I'm traveling too. this week, so uh, <laughs> it's a nice. it worked out nicely just with work and real-life stuff and everything like that. It was a good week to just kind of have a lot of stuff going on. And then, uh, yeah, Friday night they'll start with the Diamondbacks, uh, who have been really good as somebody living in Arizona. They're a fun team. Uh, they've been almost unbeatable at home, honestly. Um, but on the road they've been more of a 5 at your club, and hopefully the Braves are able to get off to a strong start and kind of make a push. And as we've said, you know, for the last 45 minutes or so, uh, just keep things interesting and fun in the second half. Yep, that's the goal. Uh, well, thanks for doing this, Scott. I always always appreciate you coming on, man. I know people listen uh, do as well, so I appreciate your uh, work as always. Of course, buddy. Have uh, have fun in Vegas. Yeah, I will try try to survive uh, covering the Atlanta Hawks. It's a lot of fun. But uh, <laughs> uh, as for everybody listening to the podcast, uh, I appreciate that as well. Please subscribe on iTunes if you've not done it already, and also check us out, of course, on TalkingChop.com and all of our work will be there. So uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week.